0: Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 241. This week, we talk about standing desks and office setups. A major security concern with mail to links microsoft flight simulator is back but with some funny quirks hey carl how's it going it's going pretty good
1: long time no chat
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely it's been a couple months but uh we are back and this is ms dev show raw (laughs) (laughs) so we're cutting a few things out just uh Just so we can get back into it here, but, uh, yeah, you know, COVID hit and, uh, you know, we've been, we've been stuck inside. We've been taking it easy. Um, but we're, we're back and hopefully we can get some, uh, episodes under our belt here. Yep. So no no guest today, but we have some really cool stuff to talk about. So one is, um, I I think is actually very relevant to uh, COVID and everybody working from home that normally doesn't work from home. And then we also have a lot of listeners that do work from home full time. So I think it's relevant to everybody, which is really around home office and around desk environment and and that type of thing. Um, So I thought I'd give a little bit of background here, the way my office used to be set up, which was I had this giant... Um, it was a hard, it was a solid wood desk, but it was, it was a big L desk. And I thought it was really nice because I had tons of desk space and I was sort of sitting at this interesting angle and, um, you know, it was a pretty neat desk, but I had two issues with it. One was what well, was super heavy. Um, so like it was unmovable and the other was it blocked like this giant, beautiful window that I happened to have in my office. Cause my office used to be a dining room. And, um, you know, I had to sit all day and I wanted to be able to move around a little bit more, maybe stand throughout part of the day. Um, everybody, including you, highly recommended uplift desks. I know that's that's the kind you have, right? You have an uplift? Yep. I okay. have an
1: uplift desk. Yeah. But before we go any further, sure. can you explain how the room that your office is in, you know, what that's like, the yeah. size?
0: Yeah. So it's, it's actually huge. Um, so it's, I want to say it's 13 by 15. I mean, it's a, it's a very large room. Um, originally, like I said, it was a dining room, although it was carpeted, which is kind of bizarre. I don't know what they were. The previous owners were using it for. Um, it's got a big, a big opening on one side and then a smaller opening on the other. Cause like I said, it was a dining room, but the builders fortunately made those like standard door sizes. So I put doors in, so I have two French doors on one side and then, on another side, um, on the adjoining side to that, I have a single person door. And then I have this window, which is um it must be about eight feet wide. Um, yeah, about eight feet wide and about eight feet tall. Um, it's just giant, giant window um on the front. And uh, so I've been working with a couple of different layouts here, but originally I sort of had everything like in the middle of my office and It's amazing how you can take a 15 by 13 space and make it feel really cramped. (laughs) I know that sounds crazy with just some bookshelves and a desk, but if you put them in the right configuration, sort of creating a pinch point in the office, you can make it feel really small. So I started thinking about a little bit more, like how can I move these things so that just to open up the space a little bit, because I just want, I want to focus, like I want an uncluttered focus space. So
1: is that kind of what you were asking? Yeah, because I think it's kind of important because when we start talking about home offices, like Mm -hmm. we immediately have constraints, right? And it's really important to understand what is the constraint that as we're talking about your office that you're dealing with, right? You know, in comparison, uh, I haven't measured this room in a while, but it's like 10 by 11 or nine by 10. Mm -hmm. It's decent for an office, but it's not very large. And in particular, I have a, a small residential style window in the middle of one side um, there's a heating duct that I can't block uh, for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. And there's a closet in here, which means I can't kind of put anything by that wall because then I would block it, right. So I'm working with an entirely different set of constraints as we talk about my office versus yours. And as people have uh, other workspaces, whether they uh, own or rent, they have different layouts that they're mm-hmm. working with. So, you know, these are all things that we need to keep in the back of our head as we're talking. Yeah. Like one thing you mentioned, you have a closet. I didn't even think that I
0: don't have a closet. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. So, and in fact, yeah. because of that, I, I did put, it didn't have doors on the closet and I've since put doors on and I actually angle my webcam. So when people are talking to me, they don't see it. Right. I'm a little
0: jealous of the closet. I didn't, you know, I didn't I like that's kind of mind blowing. Cause I just, I don't have one.
1: <laughs> so yeah, this was a bedroom.
0: Yeah. Ed yeah, I actually have two bookshelves in here. And bookshelves are sort of evil. Like they're great if you have books on them. I think they look good. Um, but honestly, like mine have been really cluttered. I've been trying to clean that up. and I keep certain wires and stuff and I put them in totes and I have them nice and labeled. But still, it looks like clutter. So I just I keep moving more and more out of my office. And fortunately, in the bottom of the bookshelves, I do have some doors. So like all of the clutter I can put uh, behind those doors. But it just, you know, it's like, If you have a simple workspace, I feel like it just allows you to focus. Like it just, it just feels better, uh, being in that space. And yeah, I mean, this room is huge, so I want it to feel open. Um, I could certainly work in an office that was half the size or maybe even a third of the size. Like I think that would be cozy, right? And then you'd have a different set of constraints to your point. You could Mm -hmm. make a nice little cozy workspace. I think I'd be just as happy at that. Absolutely.
1: But anyways, you know, uh, I've had an uplift uplift desk for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the time I decided to go with the 80 inch wide one mm-hmm. um and with the bamboo top. And I was a little, you know, these are expensive desks. Yep. So for me, you know, I chose the bamboo because it was the cheapest and I didn't necessarily like the look of it at the time when I ordered it compared to like the fancy woods. Cause of course everybody wants something fancy, mm-hmm. but I will say that, um, this has been an excellent surface for the last four years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah. And one other thing about my old desk too, like it was the wrong size. So I, I've been, uh, using, I've been sitting on a ball for man, seven years, mostly because yeah. I'm too cheap to get a chair, but supposedly the ball is healthier anyway. Um, so,
1: you know, I guess it's like a double win. (laughs)
0: So it is what it is.
1: And as a comment to the size, I have an 80 inch desk. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if I did not have the podcast gear that we have, Mm -hmm. that would be too much desk.
0: Yeah, I agree. That sounds massive to me. So I, I ordered the 72 by 30. Um, and I was worried about that being too small based on like some of your comments and now that I have it, I feel like it's, it is the perfect size for this space. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad I got this. And I did go with, I think a m- it was a lot more expensive wood um, because everything in my office, all of the, the wood in my office is dark. So I went with the, uh, what do they call it here? The dark brown rubber wood, solid wood. Um, you know, so that was a little bit extra money the the total Let's see. What was the total cost of this thing? I think it was like seven hundred and fifty dollars because this had the. Oh no, the chair wasn't in here. I guess it was eight hundred and with tax was eight hundred and seventy five dollars. It looks like. Um, so yeah, it's pricey. Uh, but yeah. these things have a ten year warranty. Um, yeah, I mean you're you're just you're paying for the quality for sure and the type of wood that you want and and I can tell the difference. I mean my old desk was solid wood, but I'd get this like hazing whenever I'd clean it. Um, this is like a just top grade, super high end finish.
1: Yeah, and in addition, for other people who might be considering this, you can order just the the leg portion mm-hmm. and make your own top. Yep. And they're the way that they make it is uh, the what connects the two is adjustable, so you can have you know a narrower one. So if you think you want like a you know something in the fifty to sixty inch range, it can still buy that same legs and do that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you really want to go all out, let's just say you have a wall that's 12 feet wide. You could likely make that work. Hmm.
0: Yeah. That's a really good point. You could do something like that. Yeah. I almost went with a a desk that wasn't as deep. I mean, 30 inches is, um, kind of pretty deep. Yeah. I, you know, but the, in this color, I couldn't do the other size. Like, honestly, like I only need a two foot deep desk. I, this is just really deep. Like I, I can like not really even reach the back of the desk and I don't really understand the
1: point of what I do to compensate. Some of that is I actually have my monitors on these ergotron arms Mm -hmm. where I can bring them like probably a good nine to 12 inches forward. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So I guess we can start going through. So one thing I did want to talk about too, like one of my favorite features about this, like aside from being able to stand part of the day is, is that like in non-work hours I keep this thing basically in stand mode is usually what it defaults to and I have a preset for stand mode I have a preset for sit mode and then I have one for like lean mode which I'll, I'll talk about later but um, what I like about keeping it in stand mode you know up high is that I can if I want to like just look at something real quick on my computer I can literally just like walk in and like wake the computer up and and, and use it for a few seconds and then lock it and walk away it's kind of neat not having to go through I know it's not like this is like totally first world problems, but I don't have to like, you know, go through the process of like sitting down (laughs) and sort of Mm -hmm. getting in the right position. Like I just walk up and it's there. So, um, I found that to be uh, really nice. It's also nice. Like for, if you're on a phone call or something, be able to like pace around the room a little bit. Um, because standing itself is actually not that healthy. Like you definitely don't want to be standing and not moving all day. Um, but if you can stand, you know, let's say half of your day and, and as part of your standing, you're actually like pacing around or moving around a little bit. Um, that's, that's the most, most healthy. You want to keep that blood flow going and not create pinch points, anything like that. So, um, yeah, this thing is, I am just, it's, it's really just wonderful. So do we want to
1: talk about some of the accessories here? Yeah, because there's accessories available today Mm. Yep. that when you bought yours, um, I realized that were brand new to me. I did not. um, They're available that, you know, I didn't have an option to buy them that I think that um, I'm going to eventually look into.
0: Yeah. So I did get like an anti fatigue mat from them, which is really nice. I think that's, that's key. I'm actually looking at like, you know, can I get some slippers with more padding? Like you just need that padding and it makes it so that you move around a little bit more. It makes it so you're not, you just, it's just much softer on, on your whole body. And then mine actually came with a free hammock. Um, and the hammock can uh, catch under the desk. And honestly, like I, 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 haven't even taken the the hammock out of the package. <laughs> I, I think, I think the hammock is a bit of a gimmick. And I, I think they, they, they created the hammock because they wanted to show that a, the desk is, is strong enough that you can ha- literally like, you know, a 200 plus pound person can, can like, you know, sit under this thing and it's not a big deal. And that the motors can actually lift that much weight, you know, that, that's I think they're just trying to say, like, look how so, strong this thing is.
1: W- one interesting use that I've seen for the hammock is people using them as footstools. Oh, interesting. So if you're if you have it and you think that might be a useful feature, you know, hey, give it a try. Yeah, I'm I,
0: I'm hesitating a little bit because my desk literally is a, this is like a, almost like a floor to ceiling window. And um, I love this new desk because it doesn't block the window. I, You know, if you think about that dimensionally, if you're at the other side of the office, like it just, it, it, it doesn't block the window. I get, I can see the window under the desk. I can see it over. Um, so I really don't want a hammock hanging down full time, but that's kind of interesting. Maybe I could, you know, attach and detach it like sort of as needed. So um, yeah, I mean, I didn't get any of the advanced wire management stuff they have. I'm going to, I'm going to go all custom with that. Um, But I have been I've had this crazy high standard that I I think you were doubting a little bit of like I didn't want to see any wires above below like I just wanted to see no wires like this this whole thing I wanted to look magical and one of the things I've done is um, I've switched to using speakers I actually used to have a speakerphone on my desk and I switched I got these nice uh, we can include a link in the show notes but these uh, edit edifier 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 speakers um these are like hundred dollar amazon speakers and they are legit like i i can't believe um the quality of these speakers for a hundred bucks and they have the built-in amplifier so you can connect them to your computer um and then they have the speaker wire that runs between them but to um eliminate to get these things up to like the proper level and to and to avoid any wires i went to home depot and i bought some iron pipe and I bought some uh, some ends for the iron pipe, and we'll have to include a, a link or a um, picture in the show notes. But basically, um, I, I built speaker stands for like I think ten dollars for like two of them. <laughs> and what I'm going to do, I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to drill a hole in the back of the pipe, and the wires will actually run down through that. Um, so these speakers will be basically standing on this. Uh, it's a three-quarter inch pipe. Um, it looks sort of magical how they're just like elevated on these things and the wires will run through that pipe and will run right down through the desk to the bottom side of the desk. So you don't see anything there.
1: Um, yeah, I think that's a real creative way to kind of get your hidden wire aesthetic.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't find anybody who's ever done this before. I've seen people build like pipe stands for speakers, but like never like this. And and it just, I don't know, it seems so simple. <laughs> just, I don't understand why this isn't super popular. And then I have the a monitor arm just like you do. And what's nice is the wires run down the monitor arm into the desk. So you don't see any wires there. Um, I have a wireless mouse and a wireless keyboard. Um, my microphone is on a boom arm. Um, so that goes into the desk and then, um, you know, that wire just runs right under the desk. Right now, I have my mixer and USB um, hub sitting on the desk, although that's going to get mounted underneath the desk. I'm still working on that. Um, so I just, I, you know, I've been a little psycho about keeping this thing like nothing on it. So my wife comes in and she said something on the desk. I said, nope, that does not go there.
1: So <laughs> I think the, allowed. the one unique thing that you're doing that allows you to do this a little bit more easily than some people mm-hmm. is you've also invested in a really high powered personal desktop that you're using for work. Right. Whereas a lot of people are issued a laptop and a dock and that comes with all these wires and stuff. And what you're doing is you found really long cabling to put that all into your basement.
0: Yep. Yeah. That's good. That's kind of the crazy part, right? Like my basement stays really cool. So in the summer, I don't want a whole bunch of heat thrown in my office and you, you, you might think it's insignificant, but I mean, that thing is pulling, you know, 75, maybe a hundred Watts on average throughout the day. I mean, that is literally a hundred watt heater that you're running in your office. Like, do you, do you want that in the summer? And uh, of course you don't. So yeah, I have 12 foot cables. Um, and if you look at the specifications for things like, um, like DVI, not DVI, that's an ancient technology. What is it? Um, Port. Um, if you look at the specifications, like they don't want you going long with those cables. But I did buy like a twelve foot DisplayPort cable. I have a twelve port or twelve foot uh, USB three cable uh, that runs into the back of the monitor to power or to go into that hub, and then I have another one for the other hub. And then I have a twelve foot audio cable. And uh, yeah, the computer is in the basement. Um, I have some shelf brackets so that it's stuck to the wall, basically, and it is right below um, the hole that comes up into my office. Um, so that the, the, basically the, there's the minimal amount of cabling. Um, you know, like if you set it on the uh, basement floor, for example, you'd have to have like another, you know, eight feet or however tall your ceiling is of cable, but I have it right up on the ceiling as close as humanly possible.
1: And what's nice, go ahead. Yeah. So with that, you know, I'm just trying to think through, you know, what you have going on there. Mm -hmm. So, um, you mentioned that you have a wireless keyboard and mouse. So, is the dongle on that directly in the computer through the floor? No, it's actually the dongle is in the uh, USB port on the monitor,
0: which okay. is perfect because the range on those things, like I do have something that affects that range. Um, I've had it a couple feet apart or a couple feet away, and occasionally I'll get some stuttering of the mouse. Um, having yeah. it literally one foot from the mouse and keyboard gives me perfect reception with that thing.
1: And and that's what I was wondering is if it was down there, you know, were you having any occasional issues? And it sounds like you probably would have had, uh, some major issues. With
0: yes. Major issues. Cause even with the desk desktop, like a couple feet away, I was having some significant enough issues that I ran that, that dongle closer and now plugged in to the monitor is is really just amazing because it's a Logitech Unifying receiver, and it's tiny, so it you know like you can't even you just don't see it again it's invisible, and then even my webcam which is sitting on top of the monitor, uh, gets plugged into there. Oh, and we didn't we didn't talk about the monitor by the way. Um, well, well, I'll talk about that in one second. I did want to mention like some other another benefit of having the computer, um, down in the basement, um, and I and I just leave it on all the time. I always get a lot of. Questions about that. Um, what was the uh what was the other thing I was gonna mention about that thing being down there? Because it's up on the ceiling, so it is pulling in cool air. The whole computer runs way cooler. Um, because our, our generally our basement air is like 60 some degrees. Um, but there was um hmm, I can't remember. It'll come back to me. So we'll talk about the monitor. So I I used to have two 4K monitors that were 20. I believe 24 inch monitors, and um, they were just terrible. Um, and they actually were reviews, or they were they were monitors that got good reviews. They were, um, I believe, they were TN panels though, and they were big enough that the viewing angles, even if you were looking at the middle of the monitor, the sides would would uh, bleed, like they would um they would walk, get washed out. I mean, it was just, it was really bad. I mean, this, the, the quality was was just, it was just trash. And I think really the only benefit of those monitors was that they were um, 4K monitors, which would make all the text look nice. Um, so I ended up doing some research and I ended up spending way more than what I intentionally wanted to spend. I spent $1,000 on an Alienware monitor. And the reason was I wanted, I absolutely wanted an IPS display and if you know anything about an IPS panel versus TN, IPS um, is a it has way better viewing angles than a TN panel, but it is very hard to get the high refresh rate. Um, and the only way to get the high refresh rate is to spend more money. <laughs> so uh, basically, it's a 120 hertz monitor. Uh, it's a 120 hertz gaming monitor. Which yes, there are faster gaming monitors out there. Um, but you know, a lot of times they're either TN or VA panels, whereas this is an IPS display and this monitor supports, uh, NVIDIA G-Sync and, uh, FreeSync, which is AMD's technology. Um, I didn't realize how significant any of these things were until I actually got this monitor. So I'll just kind of go through them one by one. Like number one, the consistency of this screen from every angle, I mean, the, the colors, it's funny cause I'm colorblind, but like, I can tell how solid this is. Like I have a, I, I use dark mode on a lot of things, every, you know, across my screen, everything that is, you know, different, like background colors is 100% consistent. Like it's just perfect. Everything looks perfect and it looks perfect from every viewing angle. Um, and it is like deep, rich blacks, um, super bright whites, like The color consistency on this thing next to those other monitors, it it just, I I just cannot understate how big of a difference that was. And we're comparing those those 4K monitors were like $500 monitors. I mean, with with amazing reviews. Like, I just want to, you know, convey, like, I'm not talking about like a $100 monitor. Those were like top quality monitors or high quality monitors. And this just blows it away. Like, no competition. The other thing is, This runs at 120 hertz, and I didn't even think about this, but that means that Windows runs at 120 hertz. So, you know, if you've ever looked at a a device at 120 hertz, I know like some of the new iPads, for example, are 120 hertz. Um, It makes things a lot smoother. So when I move a window around, when I move my cursor around, it is very noticeable that it's actually at 120 hertz. And then I mentioned that they, it supports the G-Sync and the, the, the FreeSync. I normally don't do a ton of gaming, but we've been playing uh, Call of Duty Warzone recently. And um, the difference in there is really shocking because with G-Sync, what, what ends up happening is the video card, basically, if you, if you think about it, the video card is sending a whole bunch of frames to your monitor. And if your monitor has a fixed refresh rate, while it's drawing a frame, it might, um, it might get the next frame. And then the monitor goes, uh, okay, fine. I'll start drawing the next frame. So you get half a frame on the top, half a frame on the bottom. Um, you know, it's not quite cut off that nice, but you kind of get the point. That's the general gist of it. You get screen tearing. So if you notice on a on a monitor without that technology, as you as you like, kind of look back and forth, you'll get this weird like step pattern in the middle of the screen or somewhere on the screen, um, and. You know, if you are blissfully unaware right now, that's great. (laughs) Don't look at a monitor like this. But then once I got this monitor, it enables G-Sync so that when the video card draws a frame, the monitor draws the frame at the same speed. It says, okay, I got a frame, I'm going to draw it. And if the, if the, if the graphics card starts sending frames quicker or slower, the monitor will simply adjust. And the difference in that is pretty striking. I mean, as you're looking around, it just gives you this totally different visual aesthetic uh, in games that is that is pretty striking. So yes, this monitor was expensive, but what in my research I found you can get a cheap monitor. I, I I'll put cheap in quotes here, but you can get a cheap like gaming monitor for 500 bucks. That's maybe not big, or maybe it's a TN panel, so it has bad viewing angles. You can spend let's say 750 to 800 dollars once you get into that range. You can pick like one extra thing you get, you know, so maybe it is IPS or maybe the, you know, maybe, um, maybe it's a higher frame rate or, you know, whatever it may be. Like you, you can buy a compromise monitor that might do what you want to do. So if you're writing code all day, then that would be fine. Like you could literally get like a really nice, like $750 IPS display and call it a day. If you want a monitor with no compromise that does everything that I talked about, then you're at about a thousand dollar price point and up. And you can literally just spend that much money and you have checked every box then. It can be IPS, high frame rate, amazing viewing angles, supports G-Sync, supports FreeSync. Um, so that's that's the path I went down. And, and the reality is I use monitors for a long time. Even those 4K monitors, I got those, um, that would have been seven, I think seven years ago. I think it was about seven years ago that I got those, which is actually a short amount of time for me to use a monitor. I still actually have some monitors that I bought back in, man, over a decade ago um, that are still like in service in my house. So, you know, I actually, I'm okay with spending a thousand dollars on a monitor, you know, amortized over a year. The thing that your eyes are looking at, you're spending what, 10 bucks, 15 bucks a month on (laughs) like, that just feels like nothing to me.
1: So I do know that. You did mention that, you know, you have some work requirements and mm-hmm. at the same time, you also, you know, started gaming and that mm-hmm. did feature into this, Yep. you know, had you not been doing the gaming part, you know, would you feel that you would still spend the same amount to get the same monitor or would you potentially give up, you know, one or two of those features and save some money? Wow. That's a tough one. Um, if I was
0: pretty sure I wasn't going to do any like 3d gaming like that, I probably would have spent seven fifty then and gone that route if I just wanted it as a development monitor, but you're right. I you brought up a good point. And I think the other, the other point that we're missing here is that, you know, um, I switched roles at Microsoft where I basically am going to have next to zero travel. Plus, I mean, obviously there's zero travel during COVID as well. Um, so factoring in that, you know, I'm not going to travel as much means that, um, I'm always going to be using the same computer, and I did go this route where you know I built this, and we've talked about it on the podcast before this high-end, um, you know, 12-core beast with you know tons of memory, tons of super fast SSD that I can use for work. Um, you know, it's basically bring your own device, um, and it's great that Microsoft um, you know allows you to do that, and then also allows me to do gaming and everything else. And this computer is 100% reliable, by the way. Um, I did have a couple gpu like crashing issues um but other than that it has been you know it's just been totally flawless so like it it has really been no issue using the the same computer for everything so yeah if, if you subtract out the gaming then yeah i mean i i probably would have saved the money and and gone 750 there might even be a 500 option that works and and of course if your budget is less than that like you know it is what it is it's it's fine um you just you know i always think of that triangle where it's like you know price quality. Um, I don't know you know, what it's the three corners of the triangle can be whatever (laughs) you're always giving up something. And in my case, it was, I was basically giving up price, um, to get, um, all of the other features.
1: All right. So now that you have your office kind of set up where it is, you know, Mm -hmm. are there, is there anything else that you're thinking about doing?
0: Um, That's a good question, because I want to get some definitely some wire management. Um, And I will link in the show notes as well. um, There's these sleeves that a coworker of mine recommended. Um, It's basically these are like Velcro sleeves that go around because I I do have to have one set of wires that goes down to the floor so that it goes into the basement. Um, And it's basically like a neoprene sleeve that you cut to length and then it Velcro's closed and it makes the wires look really nice. Um, So I I already, I put that on there Um, and make sure if you have a standing desk that you put it in the standing mode and then do your wire management. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That way your wires are long enough to where, for where you're going. But I will tell you if you want to work on wire management on a standing desk, oh my God, is that nice? Because you put it up and then you get under the desk and you do your work. (laughs) So it's really slick for that. Um,
1: Currently I'm just using, you know, Velcro straps to keep my all my wires together in one cable. But that sheath sounds like it's a lot more, uh, yeah. Aesthetic.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, it's a little, I mean, it makes the wire bundle a little bit wider. Um, I think once, once I sort of think that I'm not going to add any more wires, what I'll do, I might take that off and put some zip ties on there and see if I can make it look good. Um, yeah. I mean, there's uh, just like, you can use like tiny black zip ties and, and then, and then make it look like it's just one like bigger wire that would still be aesthetically pleasing. So that is another option, but like, I'm still in like experimentation phase here. Um, but yeah, yeah the,
1: I the I, one I, thing that has thrown off my cable management from a looks standpoint mm-hmm. is I recently hardwired, um, my dock in, mm-hmm. but, the only Ethernet cable that I had at the time is bright yellow. So I have all these black cables with this bright yellow one on the side. Mm, I see.
0: Yeah, so I guess two two more points. Um I did buy, you know, there's two grommet holes on this desk. And I actually was able to use one of them for the monitor mount, uh, which was kind of lucky. I didn't have to drill into the desk. The other grommet hole um, I put in... You can buy these on Amazon. We'll have to put a link to that in the show notes as well. But you basically put in, uh, it's two outlets and two USB ports. And there's different configurations like you can get with like four USB ports. But it's super cool because I have two outlets and two USB ports on the surface of my desk. So that if I do want to, like my my wife came in and she's like, hey, can you get my laptop all up to date for school? And like I said, I set it on the desk and then I just plugged it in right on the top. You don't have to go crawling around. That has been an amazing addition And then if I need to charge my mouse and keyboard, I can plug them into the USB ports there, which I think is wonderful. Um, The thing that I haven't figured out yet, there are some devices out there where you can do a wireless charger and it comes with a special drill bit so that you can basically like bore out some of uh, basically a circle underneath your desk and go up and then put put a device in there so that there's a a part of your desk that supports wireless charging. How cool is that? So basically you just sit your phone on your desk in that spot and it will charge it. So I'll have to include a link in the show notes that that, that took some work to actually find that thing, but it comes with the drill bit and, um, and all the hardware you need. um, I just, I'm I'm just, I'm still thinking about it, you know, like I just haven't pulled the trigger on it yet, but um, uh, that would be really amazing. Just sit your phone down and have it start charging. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was something you were interested in as well.
1: Um, to a certain degree, I mean, it, it definitely sounds appealing. I mm-hmm. definitely uh, bought into the wireless lifestyle for yeah. charging. Um, but at the same time, my phone generally lasts um, for a full day. Right. And even the times where I am using it a little bit more, I'm in spots where it I charge it other ways.
0: Right, right. Yeah. I don't know. I just, it would just be really cool. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's why I'm hesitating. It's like, yeah, like you said, it's just not necessary. It's not really solving like a big problem for me, but man, it would just be nice. And especially with like new AirPods and stuff being wirelessly charged as well, you know, just, uh, Oh, just, just sit them right here and, uh, and you're good to go. Okay. So that was everything on the desk. I'm I'm very happy about it. Like I'm living this lifestyle. Um, I did mention I was going to talk about the stool. Um, I don't I don't need to talk about it a lot but uplift sells this stool that's basically meant to lean against. So if you do want to take a break from standing a little bit your legs are getting sore or whatever you can lean up against this thing um, it's just a tall stool that's adjustable and it was it wasn't too exp- I want to say it was 99 bucks um I was kind of surprised based on kind of the pricing that they have it that seemed pretty expensive in terms of like a stool like this. Um, Yeah,
1: I have the same one. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think the interesting thing about it for the most part is, you know, it's not something you want to be doing all the time. Mm -hmm. So it it, it sounds counterintuitive, but it's uncomfortable, right? But it's, it's meant to uh, be used as relief for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. And then for you to stand again.
0: Yeah, I definitely can't use it for very long. It's like 10 minutes at a time, just to take a little lean break. You know, just like if you were like working outside, right? You'd, you know, you take a break. It's like, I'm gonna have a drink and you sort of lean up against a tree or something. That's basically the concept. Um, Okay. So in my office, so that, that, that stuff is kind of all set, but behind me now, I used to have my bookshelves. Those got moved to the other wall. I have a completely blank wall and there's nothing over there at all. Uh, What I plan on doing is I want to buy a couch. I think it's a terrible time to buy a couch because um, supply is low demand is high because of people being at home, but I want to put a couch back there. And my idea being that I think my ideal mix throughout the day is like 30% of the day, or like a third of the day sitting on the ball, a third of the day standing. And then a third of the day, like in different, you know, like sitting on the, the couch, like either listening on a call or like using my laptop. Cause I think, I think just moving and just being like, you know, not static all day. I think is just really a key for not creating pinch points and and promoting blood flow and things like that. And then on that wall above the couch, um, I really want to decorate that wall in a cool way. So I've been looking at these um, Nano Leaf Hex lights. Um, the reviews are actually kind of terrible, um, but they look amazing, um, and they've just been out of stock the whole time. I'm hoping that there will be some competitors to this that are appealing as well. Uh, but basically, these are lights that, you know, you plug one of them in and then you chain them together. And they just look beautiful because they create these cool light patterns uh, through these, through these like plastic hex LED lights. Um, so if you go to NanoLeaf.me, uh, you can take a look at what I'm talking about there.
1: Um, yeah, I've, I've seen those. I think uh, Clark Sell from that conference uh, had posted that he got those and they oh, really? do look okay. really good. Mm-hmm. However, just the price of those just kind of turn me off to that. Cause that's yeah. a little bit outside my budget for something like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, honestly, if you want like enough of them, it's probably like $500 just for like yeah. wall lights. It, it is, it is high. It is high. It's definitely like, you know, just it's, yeah, it's a luxury item for sure.
1: Yeah. And I, I think we've talked about this before, so I'm not gonna, you know, go too high, but you know, you've really turned me on in the past to the concept of how important lighting is in an office. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have several task lights that are on my desk and then I actually now have some uh, floating shelves on my wall that have some ambient lighting on there as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think several sources of lighting really make a, a room that you're going to be in feel much more comfortable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I was going to, I'm going to add some led lighting, like maybe under the desk here, maybe behind my bookshelf, like I can make this room look really cool. Um, I just, there's, there's so many different options on Amazon that don't cost a lot, but like, they're all different systems. I haven't quite figured out how to integrate them or like what that will look like. So it just, it's going to require a whole bunch of planning. Um, so, that's so the problem that I have out.
1: with my task lighting is they're the led style where there's an actual, like a uh, capacitive touch power to them. Mm-hmm. And the problem with those is you can't just plug them in and then turn on um the ambient lighting that i have i actually really like is very cheap uh lights from ikea mm-hmm. and the great thing about those is if you wanted to automate them you know they they're just simple lights they ha- i have led bulbs in them um they come that way from ikea and if you have a smart switch you could turn them all on and off at once mm-hmm. right now i'm still manually turning on several a day um or forgetting about it at night yeah but um you know, that's another way. You don't have to get like really fancy with the product itself. You could, you know, automate that afterwards.
0: Yeah. Cool, cool. Um, and then I, I actually found I started thinking about um, I was talking with some coworkers and we we're actually talking about like neon signs. And then I got this idea, I found some places that can do like custom neon signs, and I was like, what would I put on there? And I want to do like heart, like a heart low symbol and a cloud. And then I was like, wait a second, I wonder if those just exist like already. And I went on Amazon and they're like I don't know, $17 or something for like a heart and like 17 bucks for a cloud. Um, and they're only like eight inches tall. Like I'd like something bigger, but like, I don't know. I'm I'm just kind of playing around with the idea of like putting some stuff like that too. I think it would just be neat having a, an engaging, like cool dynamic background. Um, that's, that's, that's actually a real background, you know, within, mm-hmm. uh, within like my team's calls.
1: You know, I can say from, as someone who's priced out custom neon before, it is not cheap. Yeah. So if you can get some uh, stuff that's been manufactured in mass, that's going to be the only way to do that within a budget.
0: Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Cool. Um, was there anything else that we need to talk about there?
1: You know, I, I guess I would,
0: if, if our listeners, if they have any uh, questions about the setup or anything, uh, definitely shoot us a message. Um, I'd love to hear and, you know, send us a picture of your setup as well. Post it on Twitter and tag, at MS Dev Show. we'd love to see your uh, your setup um i've been using pictures of people's setups for years as like inspiration to finally <laughs> to finally build this out so i'm pretty excited about it i just feel good like being in my office like you know at at this desk it i just it's a it's such a nice setup it just makes me feel good okay any other comments on that or should we move on carl yeah. Let's talk about the news next. Okay. Oh, actually I, the, I think I remember the one thing, one of the things I wanted to mention really, really quick was in terms of simplifying your setup. Um, I have a microphone on my webcam. I have, I've had other audio devices plugged into this. I wanted to really simplify. So I just have the pod, you know, basically this podcast mic and I use that for my team's calls now. And I have the speakers, one tip that I have for everybody. So we'll count this as, as the tip of the week. Um, is basically go into Windows Sound Settings, the old Control Panel, not the new one. Go into the old one and disable any audio devices that you're not going to use. My computer literally has one microphone and one audio and one output audio device. That's it. So like whenever I use Teams or Skype or anything like that, they have no choice but to be using the right um, the right input and output. <laughs> so that's a tip for you because I I did um, join a call the one day. And for some reason it was all of a sudden the input had switched on me, I think, cause I turned off my mixer and turned it back on. Uh, but if it's the only device it has to work. So,
1: Oh, that is fun. really interesting. I just went into that dialogue right now and yep. I forgot that you could disable. So yep. that's a really good tip.
0: Yep. Disable. And then windows will just not allow anything to use that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been great. <laughs> okay. Um, let's jump into the, we have a couple new news stories that we wanted to go through here. So the first one is that uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator is back. I don't remember we mentioned that on the podcast, but I think that's really exciting. Like, it was so sad when when Microsoft discontinued Flight Simulator because it was so loved by people. People have these crazy setups and, um, like... Honestly, like, what the
1: heck were those people thinking? Like, getting rid of flight simulator. So I'm glad it's back. <laughs> well, and something that I recently learned too is I didn't realize how old the original one uh, dated back to. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, the first one uh, goes back to 1982, wow. and was used as a as a commercial demo of you know how powerful computers could be at the time. Yeah, very cool. So it's funny though. I've seen some funny tweets
0: on this. So one of them was. You know, so basically you can fly like anywhere in the world is my understanding. Um, So you can imagine that there's some challenges with that. So one of them is that what they do is they look at like uh, they look at maps and they try to figure out, um, you know, where roads are so that they can actually put uh, cars that drive around on the roads, which makes a lot of sense. But there's a there's a video or there's a um, there's a building in Boston where the road actually runs through the building. So they basically say, okay, well, this is, this is like landscape, like this building sticks up and there's a road over it. So logically the way that, um, the game interprets this is that cars must drive up the side of the building over the top and back down. So we'll link to in the show notes to a Twitter, um, a Twitter, little Twitter video here. Uh, but it basically shows cars driving on a highway that runs up a building, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, and then uh, another one that I saw showed uh, that because Microsoft uses uh, OpenStreetMap, uh, at the time of their pull uh, from that for this uh, game, there was an error in it that shows one of the buildings, a residential building in Australia, uh, which is two stories tall, was actually 212 stories tall. So <laughs> like in the middle of this residential neighborhood, you have this giant like <laughs> pinnacle.
0: That looks hilarious. I love to, I mean, it's so clever how they, um, you know, lights up certain lights on the building. And I mean, like I said, this is just a, a monumental challenge to make it so you can actually use like the real world and fly around. But um, totally worth it. Totally worth mm-hmm. it. Cool. Okay. Uh, Mail to links can automatically add file attachments to an email and why that is bad, well, I think I can guess why that's bad. That sounds terrible.
1: Yeah, in in particular, what they show is, um, so the syntax that they're using is after the uh, question mark uh, in the mail to, you can do attach equals. And what they specifically show is uh, getting somebody's PGP key. So it's slash dot GNU uh, PGP slash uh, S-E-C-R-I-N-G dot uh, GPG. And that is your private key, which can be extracted and sent to you. Um, I will note that I was kind of playing around with this. Some mail clients don't actually implement this, oh, but the of course, ones of that but the ones that do, like how many times if you click on something, are you going to think to look for it in the UI? Or maybe the UI for attachments isn't very, like it hides it once it's been done. It just assumes that that was an action you meant. Yep. So this can be uh, a very sinister way of, um, in this case, getting something that's, you know, potentially, you know, damaging.
0: Yeah. I love this. Why break PGP? If you can politely ask the victim's mail client to include the private key, <laughs> man, that's crazy. I can, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm guessing like hundreds of people have thought about this, but just, you know, like not posted this too. Um, Cause I run into this all the time where I'm just like, I will use something and I'll say, man, this could just be exploited so easily. I can't believe it works like this. And then it's like two years later, somebody calls it out finally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that's crazy. Um, Clear Channels billboards will start tracking consumers in Europe.
1: Yeah, so when you think about it from like the point of view of the billboard industry, which you know is something that I don't think many of us ever think of, you know, there's billboards on the side of the road. And for years, um, you know, the people who put up these billboards, you know, say, um, it's on this highway and the highway gets this amount of traffic. So this is the number of people that see it, but that's all, you know, averages and estimates and, you know, things can change over time. So some of the technology that they've built is being able to, you know, you see, um, uh, you have people either connect, you know, uh, see what they're like, uh, Wi-Fi connections are, Bluetooth, or, you know, various different ways to get these wireless signals from our devices and then translate to that to, you know, real time, especially as some of these billboards are gaining the capabilities of, um, you know, rotating the messages every so many seconds. They can say, like, this was actually, you know, so many this many vehicles went by and saw it during the period that your ad was up. Mm-hmm. So when you look at it from that way, it does you know, sound like it's definitely solving a problem and getting value for, um, you know, the people that are there. But at the same time, it also kind of has a, a creepy side because now these billboard people can say, hey, you know, this specific phone or car, because cars have these um, identifiers now too with, you know, their new capabilities, um, you know, we could see the route that they went down or we can see the, you know, the route that they take every day to and from work. Mm-hmm. And this becomes, you know, um, one of those things that even when it's anonymized, well, um, can start leaking information and you could actually figure out who some of the people are and what their patterns and schedules are. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, there's some privacy implications here. You know, I, 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 it's tough because you are you should you know, you can't really have an expectations of privacy outside. But like we do have to start looking at this. Maybe that needs to change a little bit.
1: Yeah. And the interesting thing is, you know, when that starts to uh, they do start to dig further into it, you can see uh, situations like uh, the movie Minority Report, which the article mentions, Mm -hmm. where it knows that you're driving down the road and it could give you a billboard that basically says, hey, Jason, uh, you know, that cable management you were talking about, you know, it's on sale now. Yeah. (laughs) Terrifying.
0: Okay, cool. Should we talk about backblaze hard drive stats? Yeah. Um, so you know they they publish these every quarter. They basically run a crap ton of hard drives and then they tell us which ones failed and which ones didn't. Um, there's only a couple things that I want to pull out of here. One is drives are getting more reliable. <laughs> a, um, and um, you know we've talked about this before, but these HGST
1: drives, um, these things are always reliable. <laughs> so what what is that? abbreviation mean I HGST. I, have no idea. I mean, it's a, it says it's a manufacturer, but I can't recall off the top of my head, Houston which in graduate school of
0: theology. No, that
1: can't be <laughs> Let's see here. Um, So they were Hitachi.
0: Um, Oh, Hitachi global storage technologies. Okay. So there you go. I, that's actually the type of drive that I have based on um, based on, you know, one of these articles from before. Um, but they have crazy low failure rates, and yes, I actually have never had one fail. So I guess, I guess you know that's just more more data to throw into there. Um, I still avoid Seagate drives like the plague, even though they are getting a little better. Um, you know, like they're and it's always like they're new drives too. Like they have this sixteen terabyte option, which is mind blowing, by the way. Three um, percent annualized failure rate, um, which is actually a small sample size. But even on their twelve terabyte, it's a two percent failure rate, which you know, that's, that's pretty high. I mean, 2% are failing every year. That's, that seems pretty high to me. Whereas the HGST ones, um, the worst drive that they make, according to this chart, uh, is the eight terabyte variant and it is a (laughs) 0.64, you know, so like a third of what, uh, the, the Seagate one is. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just, they're totally at a different level. Um, Toshiba looks okay. in some of these, I mean, they don't have a lot of data on that either, but the, I'm just saying, like, why wouldn't you just buy the HGST? Um.
1: Yeah, I also think it's interesting here. And I noticed this initially in the charts, like the Western digital ones, Mm -hmm. they all stop halfway through. And it's because they found them, they don't call it out specifically this explicitly, but... They no longer have them in their system is how I think they, they put it, mm-hmm. or they don't have enough to include them on their charts anymore, which is essentially their way of politely saying we stopped using them mm-hmm. probably because of all the data that we've looked at before.
0: Right. So here's the last quarter. So like just just to give you an idea of these numbers. So the eight terabyte HGST numbers, they have a thousand of those drives, zero failed, zero can you imagine buying a thousand drives and hit zero fail in that in that quarter um let me let me find the worst one from hgsc so it looks like they're 12 tw- they way of a 12 terabyte version here Ten thousand eight hundred and forty six drives okay and they've had 19 failures 19 out of eleven thousand drives that's the worst
1: one so if you look go way down at the bottom they actually show kind of lifetime failure mm-hmm. rates yeah for those same ones the eight terabyte one had 18 total failures and the 12 one had 65 <laughs> like lifetime right yeah and they the, every chart hgs hgst is
0: like they're consistent and they're always at the bottom you know these other brands Whereas bottom is good yeah these other brands are just like we're reliable. We're not reliable. We're reliable. You know, like they are they, just inconsistent. Like you just don't know what you're gonna get. So, until we start to see like changes, like I—I just—it's just worth it to buy the right kind. I guess, in, unless you have such a good backup strategy and can deal with downtime. But um, I don't know. I think uh, the answer is clear there, and that's not an advertisement. <laughs> Let's see here. The software industry is amazingly young. Let's look at it from a different point of view. Go ahead, Carl.
1: Yeah. I found this Twitter thread, uh, by, uh, Christian, uh, uh, I hopefully I pronounced that correctly, but basically the point that he was kind of coming across is he's been in the industry for 50 years. He's worked on all sorts of projects, all sorts of technologies, but at the same time, let's, let's look at other industries and how they do things. And I think the, the story he told around the theater of Rome was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in short, it, the theater was built in 13 BC. It was used for 400 years as a theater. Then it became a quarry, a fortress, a noble residence, and now it is an apartment and a venue for hipster concerts. His words, not mine. <laughs> but what's interesting is that if we look at this you know, monument, it was built for a purpose. And then over time, as needs and circumstances changed it became other things. It was even though it is this structure of essentially rocks, concrete, I'm assuming building materials, it became useful for other purposes. Mm -hmm. Now, as we compare that to how we treat software, um, when we teach people how to build software, it's always with the thought of here is something new, build this new algorithm, build this new feature, um, Only once you get out to the industry do you maybe say, hey, we have this product, maybe we have to adjust it, tweak it a little bit, but we don't ever think about it in the way of, hey, we have this software that does X, it is essential, but we also need to do this vastly different thing, and we don't have time to, or the space maybe, or the budget, or whatever the constraint is, to do that other thing from scratch. How do we take essentially the the theater of Rome mm-hmm. and turn it from a theater to a quarry, which if you ask me has almost nothing to do with each other right. other than stones. So I really thought that this is interesting. As we look at ourselves at, as an industry, we have to realize how young we are and immature the industry is that we haven't been able to really build these prop, you know, build this kind of software that can perform like giant buildings mm-hmm. or other industries that have, uh, very similar concepts like that. So is the answer containers? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think the ultimate answer is, you know, we need to understand that not everything is, let's light the old thing on fire and build mm-hmm. something new. The yeah. old thing had a purpose. It, yep. it In in many cases, that old thing made money and is still making money or is still providing essential services. Mm-hmm. You know, how do, how do we adapt that without lighting everything on fire every time. Yeah. Very cool. Very
0: cool. Okay, cool. Um, Facebook account now required to
1: log on to Oculus devices. I don't know. I don't have one, so I don't care. I don't have one, but I know a lot of people are really interested in um, uh, the Oculus device and many other kind of technologies like that. And at the same time, there are a lot of people that also have issues with individual companies and being able to, have Facebook kind of shrink its ecosystem down to you know forcing you to use their login? I think uh, is going to be you know something that uh, is going to be contentious, especially when you take a look at it in the frame of our previous discussion. Like, mm-hmm. how can we change this one thing um, to do something totally different? Well, mm-hmm. Facebook is taking that one thing that could potentially do a bunch and saying, no, nope, we're going to lock it down even further. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Um, yeah, I hate these integrated logins, by the way. I really hate them with a passion. My, my nest, um, I have three different, um, nest devices and they want me to log in with Google. And I'm like, no, I don't. Why would I, I mean, I understand that they purchased them, but I just don't, I have no desire to have those things linked. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I just want to log in one time and never have to log in again. It just keeps nagging me. Please migrate to Google authentication.
1: It, It already works. You know, you are not getting benefit at this time by changing that.
0: Right. Right. Cause I have a randomly generated password. I mean, I guess for maybe for like the majority of people, like it's just kind of a convenience and there's advantages to it. Um, personally, I just wish I could just not do that. So, okay. Should we, uh, should we wrap this up? We've gone over a lot of stuff.
1: Yeah. I think we were originally going to split this into, or we we're going to have a, another topic, but let's save that for its own episode that sounds great
0: okay so uh, Carl where can people find you
1: you can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer
0: and you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. so it was great chatting with you about um, you know all of this desk home office and all the stuff going on in the world yeah and, we'll and it's later.
1: and it's exciting to be back and if mm. you have any additional topics you want us to cover technologies so on and so forth reach out to us at feedback at ms dot com or on Twitter at msdevshow. show awesome Okay, chat with you later, Carl. Later.